So what are your first impressions of church? My first impressions of church were, I don't know how old I was, very, very young. My mother played the organ in a small little Baptist church in South Carolina, and she would make me sit on the front row so that I wouldn't act up, and she could keep an eye on me. And I remember watching my mom sit at the organ, take her shoes off, and work the pedals while she played the organ. I also remember our church sat on a pretty busy highway in South Carolina. It was the road before newer and bigger roads were built. It was the road that led from most of North Carolina down to Myrtle Beach. And it was on the corner of that road and a road that led into the main street of our town. And every year at Christmas, my father and a bunch of men from the church would go out into the yard right out in front of the church and they would build a living nativity scene. We'd store these in a little building out behind the church. Huge animals. I mean, to me, they were just tremendous. But you know, I imagine they must have been like this size, life-size animals. And they constructed a literal manger scene. And on busy nights when Highway 9 would be busy with traffic, people would stand out there and act like shepherds and wave to people as they went by with you know, an illuminated star over the manger. Very, very distinct impression for me. But did you notice what I said? This living manger scene was out uh, in front of the church. And I was inside the church when I was watching my mother play the organ. And those were my first impressions, and they were wrong. I was mistaken. I remember a little limerick. I don't have any idea where this came from. My mother or some Sunday school teacher, a VBS woman who taught us as a class, here's the church, here's the steeple. Open the door, and there's the people, right? Some of you remember that, those of you who are over 100. You'll remember that. That was completely wrong. In reality, right, here is a brick building with a slanted roof and there's a big tall thing on top of it and you open the door and there's the church. That's God's view of things. So let's talk this morning about what God's thoughts are about the church because you and I know we don't have to read articles, although there are many, but we don't have to read articles to know that in the culture... Church offers an increasingly negative impression to those of us who are outside of the church. We are viewed increasingly negatively in the culture. So what are God's thoughts about the church? And to help us with that, we're just going to look at two brief passages of Scripture, really critical passages of Scripture. The first one is from Jesus Himself, and Jesus only mentioned the church a couple of times. But one of those times is in Matthew chapter 16, and it's right after, some of you know this account, it's right after Jesus has looked at a group of His disciples and He said, who do people think I am? And they go through a cast of characters. Well, you know, some actually think that you are... John the Baptist or one of the prophets raised from the dead and they go through a a list and then they say to Jesus says to them, well, who do you think I am? And Peter says, well, I think, uh, honestly, I think you might be the Messiah, the promised one that we've been waiting for and the son of the living God. And then Jesus shocked Peter. Whoa! Just like I shocked you. That is awesome. I think you're beginning to get it. I don't think you just came up with that. I don't, flesh and blood didn't show that to you, but the Spirit of God showed you that. Listen, you're rocky, because that's what the word Petra meant in Greek. You're rocky. He gave him a nickname that day. You're rocky. 
And on top of you, I'm going to build my church. On top of that profession, that I'm Messiah and that I'm the Son of the living God. And listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. I tell you, you're Peter. And on the rock of your profession, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. The gates of Hades will not overcome it. So let's take two things from that this morning. First of all, the word church literally translates the Greek word ekklesia. So let me get a little fancy on you this morning. That Greek word ekklesia is a combination word. It's the word ek, which means out or from or out of, and klesia, which is a version of the word called. So we are literally the called out ones. We're a called out people. At some point, God in His infinite mercy and kindness and wisdom, said, Tom, Tom, Cheryl, Deborah, Jordan, come on over. And He gathered us. This word was used in ancient Greek cities of Sparta and Athens to signify what we're going to do on March night. It was kind of a community meeting. And all come, listen, if you're a citizen of Sparta, show up on Sunday afternoon, March 9th, we're going to talk about our next war. They called those gatherings an ecclesia. We are a called out people. That means we have a different worldview based on a new understanding of God as He's shown Himself in Jesus. Secondly, Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it, will not overcome it. We are a prevailing organization. Jesus said that the church would prevail and for the last 2,000 years, hear me say this, in case you get discouraged periodically by reading something about the church or thinking yourself about our culture, this is what the church has done. In good times, the church has advanced. In persecution, the church has advanced. In fact, one of the earliest Christian pastors, a man named Tertullian, was so amazed by this, the more they killed Christians, the more they multiplied. Tertullian said, the blood of the martyrs is like seed. It spreads the gospel through wars and dislocation and massive failure and long periods of wrong-headed even grossly sinful direction on the part of the church the church has still advanced because we are a prevailing organization in fact even today while the church may appear to be weakening and retiring in the United States of America. Some of you have heard me say this before, but I heard a missiologist, someone who studies the advance of the church around the globe, say that in the year 2000, their best guess at that point was that 28,000 people a day were becoming Christians in mainland China. A day. I heard that statistic and thought that cannot possibly be true then i read an article in u.s news and world report four years ago i think 2008 or 2009 that said this is u.s news and world report it was not a spiritual article but it basically said we don't need to worry about china because china is changing not because of external pressure but from the inside out because of a spiritual revolution the Christians in China are a large and massively growing minority. And within, it said, X number of years, I don't remember how many, it will no longer be a minority. We're a prevailing organization. I'll build my church, Jesus Christ said, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. 
Three more observations based on Acts chapter 2. This is a passage that's familiar to many of us who are part of Gateway. We've used this a number of times over the years as we've talked about set our own DNA as a church. But I want to read Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. In the book of Acts, Acts is the history of the early church. And there are a couple of points when the author, who was a guy named Luke, who was a doctrine and historian, when Luke backs up from the church and takes a larger view and he gives sort of a bird's eye snapshot of what's going on with the church. And this one is the most comprehensive and it gives us an incredible picture about the nature of the church. So not only are we a called out people and a prevailing organization, but we're going to hear three more profound things. And let's do some spiritual aerobics out of reverence for God's Word. Let's go old school. Would you stand with me as we read Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47? I encourage you to look at it. Or if you don't have a Bible, it will be on the screen. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Listen to Dr. Luke's description of the church in Jerusalem. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You may be seated. So observation number three about the church is we are an intentional, focused mindset. I'm personifying that, but the church is an intentional, focused mindset. That's what we are. We are a focused mindset. It says they devoted themselves not to their careers, not even to their children, but they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's why we do this. That's why we break open the Bible on Sunday morning and see how it might apply to our lives and work our way through the mysterious world that's represented here often. That's why we do that in small group meetings in homes. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Secondly, they devoted themselves to fellowship. That word is the Greek word koinonia, and it means an association or literally a partnership. They devoted themselves to their partnership with one another. This is our mission statement at Gateway. We exist to be used by God to draw others into authentic Christian community, into a partnership with one another, into a doing of life together. They devoted themselves to that. And let's admit it, you and I are too busy not to be connected to other people who are following Jesus. I know you don't have time, but more so, you don't have time not to. And it takes incredible tensionality and focus and devotion for you and I to be committed to community because it doesn't just happen in our world. There are too many other competing priorities. They devoted themselves, it says, to the breaking of bread. This is why once a month here at Gateway we celebrate communion. And some of you grew up in church, you know what communion or the Eucharist is, and we have it here at Gateway once a month. But more than that, what the author is really talking about here is the significance of the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread was their remembrance of Jesus Jesus Christ, their hero, who was killed and then resurrected from the dead. And this is why we celebrate, celebrate the death of our hero. Because that death didn't last. Finally, it says they devoted themselves to prayer, and this is why we pray. We believe that every right and godly action begins with prayer. 
But more, this is why we advocate and teach here at Gateway about a real commitment to God. We believe it's real. We believe God is really connecting to people and inviting us into a connection with Him. And this is why. And we devote ourselves to it. Fourth, I believe that the church is an outpost of the supernatural. Listen to what it says in verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Ultimately, ultimately, I absolutely believe that you and I will be one with God. Ultimately, I believe we'll see Him face to face. I believe there will be no sickness. There will be no sorrow. Justice will be fully done. That's a part of what Jesus was talking about when He talked about the Kingdom of God. And do you recognize that when Jesus talked about the Kingdom of God, He talked as if He believed, and so do we, that the Kingdom of God is breaking in right here and right now. That's why uh, one of my favorite authors talks about the Kingdom of God. He calls the Kingdom of God the presence of the future. It's as if the future age, a time when there will be no sickness and no sorrow and justice will be fully served, that time is breaking into the present right now and it's built an outpost here on planet Earth. A place where you can't say that there's no sickness and no sorrow and you cannot say that justice is served. But that time is breaking in even now. The presence of the future and the church is the place where the influence of the Kingdom of God gathers and the power of the Kingdom of God is expressed. And I'm going to say that again. The church is the place where the influence of the Kingdom of God gathers and the power of the Kingdom of God is expressed. After Apollo landed on the moon, in the early 70s, NASA engineers spent countless hours and a number of years calculating the biology and the chemistry and most importantly the physics of space colonization. What would it take to actually colonize space? And they calibrated the needs, you know, what the kind of steel it would take to accommodate an environment that human beings could live in, say, on the moon, for starters. A couple of the most pressing needs were, you know, if we're going to do it in a sustainable way, we would need artificial gravity. And we would need radiation shielding from the sun that our atmosphere provides. And all of that calculation, they were figuring out a way to create a human outpost a way where human influence and human civilization and all the advantages of humanity could be taken to another planet so we could help and serve and civilize all the moonlings and all of the weird life on the moon. There is no weird life on the moon, but there are conditions that must be met for people to experience real connection with one another and with God. There are conditions... Just like the conditions that would be needed for space colonization, there are conditions that must be met for people to be healed emotionally, spiritually, physically, for marriages to be held together, for friendships to be forged and deepened. There are conditions that must be met, and these conditions are met in the church when the church is operating as Jesus desires. The church creates the environment where the kingdom of God can colonize planet earth. Finally, the church is an extraordinary unity. 
It's an outpost of the supernatural, and it is an extraordinary unity. Let me end with a couple of anecdotes. In a Rolling Stone interview, Trent Reznor, who's the lead musician for the band Nine Inch Nails, acknowledged that his anti-religion stance helped lead him into a pattern of, quote, destructive behavior and depression. And this is what Reznor says. Listen to this. In my head, that, his anti-religion stance, that spilled over into an utter chaos outlook at life. I don't need anything. I don't need anyone. I don't need to believe there's any reason to anything. That's pretty much what I believed. It was a pretty self-centered approach. I was lonely, and I had a bleak outlook on everything. I think people have an inherent need for belonging, to feel they are part of something. The church is a place where that's realized. The church offers the world what it can find nowhere else, an extraordinary unity. I'm convinced that Reznor is right. I'm convinced we have that inherent need as human beings, and I'm convinced we have it because God made us that way. That's why the church is the last great hope for the world. It offers three vital things to a world that needs to belong. The church offers three vital things to a world that needs to belong. First, it offers a place to belong. Secondly, it offers a model for what healthy belonging looks like. And thirdly, it offers the fuel to drive real belonging because it takes fuel. You and I are hard to get along with. And we need the fuel of God's Spirit living in us in order for belongingness to survive. And the church offers that. The church is an extraordinary unity. Let me offer one more anecdote. Writing in the Atlantic Magazine in 2013, Emily Smith said this, uh, the author of this article, listen to this. Over the last 50 years, while society has been growing more prosperous and individualistic, our social connections have been dissolving. We have paid a price for our social disconnection. This is Emily Smith writing, not some Christian author in a Christian magazine. We volunteer less. We entertain guests at our home less often. We are getting married less. We have fewer children, and we have fewer and fewer close friends with whom we'd share the intimate details of our lives. We are denying our social nature and paying a price for it. Over the same period of time, as social isolation has increased, our levels of happiness have consistently decreased, and rates of suicide and depression have multiplied. We need to connect, and the church is an extraordinary unity. The church is a place where that can happen. Listen to verses 44 through 47 again. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as they had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of group I want to be a part of. And that's what I believe God is calling us to do and to be at Gateway Community Church. Give me the five. A called out people, 
a prevailing organization, an intentional focused mindset, an outpost of the supernatural, and extraordinary unity. And all God's people said,